morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Today is Friday, May the 6th, and here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. Guinea authorities say they will prosecute former President Alpha Conde and 26 of his officials for crimes, including the violence related to his bid for a controversial third term in office. They want the charge, we are charged with um, a murder and charged with manslaughter and charged with raping, looting and charged with torture. That is reporter Karim Kamara in Guinea's capital, Conakry. Mali's ruling junta says that it is breaking off its defense agreements with France and other European partners. It's always been a bit of a prickly relationship. Uh, some people in Mali have regarded it, of course, as, you know, as a partnership. Others have regarded it really just as colonialization. Catherine Field in Paris. Somali lawmakers have set May 15th as the date they will select the country's next president. We'll have those stories plus sports coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, Guinea authorities said they will prosecute former President Alpha Conde and 26 of his officials for crimes, including the violence related to his bid for a controversial third time in office. The 84-year-old Conde was overthrown in a coup d'etat in September by a military junta headed by Colonel Mamadou Dumbaye. Conde and his supporters will be charged with complicity in murder, abductions, torture and illegal detentions, that is according to documents from the General Prosecutor's Office. Thousands of Guineans took to the streets in 2020 after Conde changed the constitution to run for re-election, leading to civil unrest and violence in the country. Dozens of people were killed as police cracked down on demonstrators both before and after the election. Rights group Amnesty International estimated that at least 50 people were killed and over 200 injured in the month leading up to the vote. Karim Kamara is a reporter and analyst based in Guinea's capital, Conakry. I reached him for more on this story and start off by asking him to update us on the current condition and location of the former president. So, Karim, let me start off by asking you, what has Mr. Conde been up to since he was removed from power? Well, um, since former president Alpha Conde was, was uh, removed from power, he has just been under house arrest. By, by the junta. So he has not been allowed to do anything else and um, other than being uh, at home and then under heavy security and a guide. Uh, except when, recently when he left for treatment in, in, in Dubai and returned back into Conakry. Other than that, he is not doing anything. He's just in the hands of the junta. And uh, did this announcement that he was about to be charged come as a surprise to him and, and to Guineans? Did you see... Did he see this coming? Was this something that was part of the conversation in Guinea? Well, I would say yes. It might be something like a um, uh, surprising thing to him because probably might not, you probably would not be expecting and the junta leader, Mamadi Dumbuya, somebody he knows personally and then somebody he, he helped to groom and then uh, grew up to groom uh, within uh, the rank and file of the Guinean armed forces, you know, would um, uh, accept 
and to see an old man as he is, and then arraigned before justice for crimes committed against humanity. So uh, it was not expecting that. And also, again, it came as a surprise to members of, uh, of former President of Congress political party, the, the RPG, because uh, John, the John leader, Mamadi Dumbuya, and them has a, uh, has a family link attached to, to this party. Uh, the mother, uh, his mother himself, was a strong member of the ruling of the former ruling RPG party. So nobody expecting Mamadi Dumbuya. And also, and then he came from the same region as um, President Alpha Conde. You know, the polit- politics in, in Africa today based on regionally and on regional and them um, tribal on um, tribal ethics. So and people were just expecting that nobody was expecting that Mamadi Dumbuya would just accept to release and uh, President Alpha Conde to the Guinean justice for whatever crimes that uh, he might have committed. So. So this is a surprise. This is a very big surprise, and to to and to them, and other Guineans also. See, we are thinking the same way that um, even though Alpha Conde might have committed a lot of crimes, but they, they think uh, Mamadi Dumbuya will protect him. So if Mamadi, if only uh, last night then the junta came up with and a statement or the prosecutor, state prosecutor come up with a statement saying, look, um, Alpha Conde and them and over 20 of his former uh, cohort and uh, will, be, will face justice for various crimes. So people are surprised. But up till now, there are some also who are saying that um, this is just a fake issue that Alpha Conde will never uh, be tried by Dumbuya. And do we know yet what the exact charges are? Well, Alpha and this group, we are charged with various accounts of, um, of, of crimes. One, they are charged with um, a murder, and charged with um, manslaughter, and then charged with raping, looting, and charged with torture. We, you have the former chief of police, um, and you also have the, the head of, um, of the National Gendarmerie, former, former head of National Gendarmerie, who is um, General Balde, and uh, you also have um, the former Minister of Defence, and you also have um, the former Minister of, of Security, two former Ministers of Security, and you also have and, um, a man like Amadou Damaru Kamara, uh, who was and, uh, the last uh, spokesperson of my, the Guinean Parliament. So all these people have been indicted. And also, and um, uh, the former Prime Minister, Dr. Ibrahim Kassori Fofana, who is currently being held and is in prison for other crimes, like crimes of and uh, economic dishonesty. That is Guinean reporter Karim Kamara. I reached him in Guinea's capital, Conakry. Somali lawmakers have set May 15th as the date they will select the country's next president. Mohamed Sheikh Nour reports from the Somali capital, Mogadishu. The presidential election committee, which included 17 members from both houses of parliament, met in Mogadishu on Thursday and agreed on the date for the election. In a vote by a show of hands, the members of the committee chose lawmaker Abdelghani Ugas as the chairman of the presidential election committee and lawmaker Mohamed Kero as it is deputy chairman. The committee decided to hold the election on May 15th, just two days prior to the deadline set by the international donors to cut their funding unless a new Somali government is formed. In a brief statement, the deputy speaker of the upper house, Ali Shaban, said that this marks a step forward in completing one of the last duties of parliament to elect the president. He said, obviously, our agenda was to elect the committee overseeing the election of the president. 
and to set the date for the election. In the end, he said, God made it easier for us, and now you can see how well we did. The presidential election has been delayed for more than a year because of political disputes that dragged out the process of electing members of parliament. Last year, lawmakers tried to extend the term of President Mohammed Abdullahi Mohammed by two years, but reversed their decision under strong international pressure. About a dozen candidates are expected to seek the presidency, including the incumbent, two former presidents and former Prime Minister Hassan Ali Khayre. Mohammed Shaknur for VOA News, Mogadishu, Somalia. Debrick Africa continues. Mali's ruling junta announced that it was breaking off its defense agreements with France and other European partners that were put in place nearly a decade ago to help the Malian military stop a jihadist offensive. In a televised statement, junta spokesperson Kano Abdullaye Maiga said that Mali had, quote, noticed a profound deterioration in military cooperation with France for some time now. The agreements provided the framework for the 2013 Operation Bakan in which French forces were deployed to help the Malian military fight jihadists in the north of the country, as well as the European Takuba forces deployed in 2020. Mali is also revoking a defense cooperation treaty signed in 2014 between the two countries. Now, the decision by Bamako comes after months of failing relations with Paris and only say that this is likely to have a wider effect on France's ambitions on the continent while giving space to Russia, which has expressed interest in the region. In late April, the French military accused Russian mercenaries known as the Wagner Group, currently operating in Mali, of staging a mass grave using real bodies in an apparent attempt to frame French forces and discredit Paris's counterterrorism operation in the region. For more on the history of this operation and the implication of the recent fallout between Mali and France, I reached reporter and analyst Catherine Field in Paris. It's always been a bit of a prickly relationship. Um, some people in Mali have regarded it, of course, as, you know, as a partnership. Others have regarded it really just as colonialization. And that France has always kept a very firm hand on what happens in Mali, who is running Mali, and who is pulling what strings. But essentially, what the main date that we have to remember on this one is 2013, when there was that massive influx of French troops that were called in to Mali by the then leadership to help to, if you like, snuff out a revolt in the north. It began this big anti-jihadist operation. The then French president, Francois Hollande, had very close links through the Socialist Party with the leaders of Mali. And it was that personal link that really got France involved to that extent. However, since that August 2020, when we had these protests in Mali, that then was the coup, and then followed by the second military coup, relations have really been deteriorating. And essentially, the French side have always said there can be no good relationship between Paris and Bamako until there is a return to civilian rule. And what are the ramifications of this fallout? Uh, is this likely to impact uh, France's relationship with uh, its other former colonies? It will, because what happens in Mali will spill over into neighboring countries. 
we're at a real crucial time at the moment because Mali has taken this very, what the French consider a very dangerous step by saying that it is going to ditch all of the military accords that they have with France. And these are very important because these are status of forces agreements that Mali has with France. And of course, France still has about 2,400 French troops in Mali. Now, by taking this step, it really did ratchet up the pressure because it means that the two are really at loggerheads. The other background, of course, to this has been that as France has been, as you know, pulling its troops out of Mali and having a look at other areas in the Sahel where they can be based, while the French have been pulling out, there are allegations, and some of it justified, that Russian mercenaries are moving into the area that they've vacated, handed over to the Malian authorities. How, how is Russia likely to benefit from this fallout as it explores, you know, these deeper ties with the countries on the continent? If they manage to keep their host country sort of pliable, they can exploit enormous amounts of natural resources. On the diplomatic side, of course, Russia is desperate for any vote in its favor that it can muster at the UN Security Council at the moment. You have a look over the last couple of weeks, we've seen countries in Africa, some countries also in the Pacific region that have either voted against any type of censorship for Russian moves in Ukraine or have abstained. So we're seeing not just the Russians looking at ways of getting natural resources, minerals, oil, whatever they can get their hands on and to ship it out, but also diplomatic recognition and diplomatic support from these poorer countries. That was Catherine Field. She's a reporter and analyst best in Paris. Over 20 African countries recently ratified the establishment of the African Medicines Agency, or AMA. It is a specialized health organization of the African Union that seeks to enable the production of quality medicines to be sold to African countries. It will also facilitate efficient and credible regulatory reviews of new products as well as increase the supply of quality standard medicines. And meanwhile, a team of researchers from the Center for Global Development, Camry Wellcome Trust, the Africa Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and other groups examine the cost-effectiveness of vaccine use in Ethiopia, Kenya, and Nigeria. They found that vaccines can dramatically reduce severe cases and save lives if they reach the targeted demographics and are administered early. Javier Guzman is the director of the Global Health Policy Program at the Center for Global Development. He tells VOA's Carol Van Dam that if vaccine coverage had prioritized people 50 years and older, death could have been slashed in half. The, the first point is, as you said, you know, vaccines um, reduce severe cases and save lives, and, and not just that, but provide, you know, additional economic benefits. So, if you look into Kenya specifically, Kenya would have been able to cover 30% of their population with vaccines. You know, that would have reduced infections by 10% and deaths by 54%. Of course, we know Kenya, unfortunately, didn't get to that 
um, coverage level. I mean, they are at 15% at the moment. So, you know, you see how this means opportunity. And the price is very much related to um, the type of vaccine. So clearly, viral vector vaccines um, are much more cost-effective than mRNA vaccines. And, and, and of course, much more cost-effective than um, other vaccines. Um, and, and that is important, not just because we are able to uh, model the health benefit based on, you know, how the vaccine performs, but also the costs based on not just the price of the vaccine, but also the cost of deploying the, the vaccinations. So the first one is, is price. And on that note, uh, viral vectors are the best vaccines to, to go with. The second point is, you know, the, the population that is going to be covered. So the, the identifying the right people to be covered. And three, of course, the speed of rollout. So that was very clear from, from the studies that if vaccinations were, were, would have been administered very quickly early on, no matter you know, what mechanism you use, no matter whether you do different, different, different ways in terms of you know, setting up vaccine posts or dedicated campaigns or distribution through health facilities, the important thing is not so much how you do it, but to do it early. The Center for Global Development also had some pretty specific numbers attached to that. They said that they would have decreased deaths by 54% over one and a half years compared to no vaccination. Is that right? That is the numbers for Kenya. So yes, in Kenya, if, if, the, if the coverage had been 30%, 10% of the infections uh, would have been reduced and 54% of deaths would have been averted. If we look at, you know, Nigeria and, and Ethiopia, the numbers are basically um, not deaths, but DALIs. And I don't know if you're familiar with DALIs, but DALIs are basically a measure that captures not just, you know, the years of life lost, basically deaths, but also the disability. So this is also an important factor. That was Javier Guzman, director of the Global Health Policy Program and a senior fellow at the Center for Global Development. He was speaking to viewers Carol Van Dam from Washington. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, former Prime Minister Augustine Matata Ponyo has declared that he will run for president in the 2023 elections under his newly formed Leadership and Governance for Development Party. Matata, who was indicted for embezzling public funds, served under former President Joseph Kabila. Matata tells Eddie Isango of VOA's French to Africa service that he has no legal restraints from running for president since the Constitutional Court dismissed his embezzlement case on grounds that it had no jurisdiction over the matter. Uh, I, confirm, I confirm that uh, I will be... Uh candidate to uh, this uh, election, the presidential uh, election. I will be candidate because uh, I was uh, chosen by uh, my party during the Congress that uh, I have to be uh, a candidate and uh, to say uh, I would be candidate. Yeah, I accept it. How would it be possible uh, with all the issues that you have with the Congolese justice? Yes, I think that... Um, the judges, uh, the, 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 the judges, uh, uh, especially uh, the constitutional court, has uh, closed uh, already uh, the judges' uh, problem uh, because uh, after uh, the examination of uh, the issue, uh, the, uh, all of the judges of the constitutional court uh, concluded 
that uh, I didn't uh, do anything and uh, the pushes uh, were closed. Uh, that to say, uh, today, uh, I don't have uh, the uh, justice problem. Uh, it, remain, uh, it remains only the politics uh, problem. Why? Because uh, the constitutional court said uh, it's uh, finished. Uh, the justice uh, problem is uh, uh, finished. But now we remain by the politics problem. And it is a shame to see how that the constitutional court, the decision of constitutional courts, uh, could be could not be accepted. That is a shame. It's not acceptable uh, because uh, constitutionally, when uh, you you try to read the article uh, uh, 168. Uh, Alinea 1, it says that all of the decisions of constitutional courts must to be uh, executed immediately by any, any person uh, in the country. But it's not acceptable today to see uh, the Senate and the public institution refusing to, uh, to applicate a, 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 a decision of uh, the uh, constitutional court not acceptable. That was Augustine Matata Ponyo, is the former prime minister in the Democratic Republic of Congo, speaking to VOA's Eddie Isango. Now it's time for Daybreak Africa Sport. With that, we go to Abuja, Nigeria with Samson Omale. Good morning to you, Samson. Good Friday morning to you too, Jackson. We begin the sports with the CAF Champions League semifinals, which get underway this weekend. Petro Duluanda will be looking to make history when they face Wera Casablanca at the 11th November Stadium on Saturday, while Al Hartley will look to shake off their indifferent form when they host ES Atif for a spot in the final when they meet in Cairo. And to Gabon, where the 2021-2022 season in the Gabonese National Division 1 Football Championship will resume with day one marches on May 14th. The resumption is coming about three years after the league was abandoned. Charles Nzengo, Secretary General of the National League of Professional Football, disclosed that it was now very necessary for the league to return. He said this will help the league, which has been structured in a new format, to meet up with the Confederation of African Football calendar for the ongoing season. Staying with football news, eight teams have confirmed participation in the regional Sakafa Women's Championship. Uganda will host the championship at the Fufa Technical Center in Njeru between May 22nd and June the 5th. The national teams that will take part in the Sakafa Women's Championship include hosts Uganda, Burundi, Djibouti, Ethiopia, South Sudan, Tanzania, Rwanda and Zanzibar. Uganda Crested Cranes coach George Lutalo says the Sakafa a tournament will be used to prepare for the Nations Cup on that the team will enter residential camping beginning from the 7th of May. We are trying to use it to give a chance to all the players that we have summoned. It will be the best for us to raise a strong team. So we have used it to bring out those potential players that have really qualified. 
to test themselves to build up a strong team that will represent us in the Africa Cup of Nations. And now to athletics, where top athletes from around the world are already in Kenya for the third edition of the Kipkino Classic, the World Athletics Continental Tour, which will take place on Saturday. Jamaican sprint queen and nine-time world champion Fraser Price, known affectionately as a pocket rocket on her first trip to Africa, promised to lay down a marker after choosing the East African nation to open her 2022 campaign. I'm just looking forward to having good competition and focusing and just me as an athlete and what I want to accomplish for this 2022 season. And finally, South Africa national rugby captain Sia Kulisi's autobiography, Rise, has been shortlisted as international autobiography of the year. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, Jackson, in Washington. And that's it for this edition of Debrek Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungi.